Welcome to part eight of Exploring the Faith. Uh, we're in the final section here. We're going to talk about the church, the Lord's Prayer, and our commitment to the Lord after all he's done for us. Uh, so to talk about the church one more time and just kind of uh, wrap up this uh, topic of the church. What is the church and, and what do we do? Uh, the Christian life uh, together as a family of faith. Uh, we witness, we show mercy, uh, and we live together. So I talk about uh, being a place of care and community. It is so important uh, for our neighbors and obviously for us too. Uh, in your workbook, if you printed that out or if you're looking online at it, it's page 34, lesson 24. And uh, the first slide says, as Christians, the people who are part of Christ's body, the church. And remember, we are the church. It's not a building, it's not a denomination, it's not an institution, it's a movement. It is people following Jesus and doing what Jesus did when he walked the earth, uh, speaking peace into people's lives, uh, healing uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually uh, our neighbors. Uh, so we live out our Christian lives uh, individually, but also collectively, as, again, as that church family. And one of the things that we do, maybe the, one of the more important, most important things we do is worship. We regularly come together for corporate worship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And let us encourage one another, again, to that end. Uh, now, on Sunday morning, a worship service in a Lutheran Christian church uh, may look different than some of the other churches around us. It may look very similar uh, to more uh, traditional churches like uh, Catholics and Presbyterians and Methodists and Episcopalians and Anglicans and on and on we could go. Uh, but probably uh, looks a lot different than maybe a Bible church. And there's a lot of reason to that and what we believe who God is and who we are and how God relates to us. Uh, that affects even how we worship on Sunday morning. Uh, the Lutheran Church is a liturgical church. We follow an order of service. We call that the divine service. And divine, of course, means God. And it, a lot of times we think of worship as uh, what we are giving to God. We sing praises to God and we give him our, our worship. But the Divine service reminds us that the most important thing that happens on Sunday morning is how God serves us, how the divine comes to forgive our sins, strengthen our faith, to give us that peace that passes all understanding. And then we respond to God's service to us by serving him with our prayers and our praises and our singing. Our offerings even are a part of worship as we return to the Lord. Um, from the Book of Concord, that's one of the uh, big theological books in our church family. It says, in summary, the worship of the New Testament is spiritual. That is, it is the righteousness of faith in the heart and the fruits of faith that would be in our lives. Uh, if you look at that box there on your worksheet, or if you can see it on the slide here, it shows where uh, God is serving us, and then we respond and serve God. 
And so different parts of the order of our service are designated and categorized, or at least I'll say identified as being one or the other. And where God is serving us, we call that sacramental. It's a sacramental part of the worship service. Where we serve God, that's called sacrificial, sacrificial parts of our worship service. So God serves us sacramentally uh, when he forgives our sins, when we hear his word, his word is read, spoken, delivered, and a message to us, uh, when we receive communion, uh, and sacrificially, right, we serve God when we uh, pray to him as he commanded, when we praise him, when we give our offerings, um, when we sing. And so during the service, the pastor standing in front of the congregation, uh, you can actually tell what type of element it is by how, where the pastor is facing. So in a sacramental part of the service, the pastor is speaking for God, speaking to the congregation. He's kind of fulfilling that prophet role of the Old Testament. Uh, so he faces the congregation. He says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, this is the gospel of the Lord. He preaches grace, mercy, and peace be to you. Uh, the words of institution, you know, Holy Communion. And for elements of the service where it is sacrificial, the pastor actually turns and faces the altar. So this is like the priest of the Old Testament, offering up the prayers of the people to God, speaking to God on behalf of the people. And so there's a lot of symbolism in our church, not just and uh, you know crosses here and candles that represent the light of Christ, but but even where the pastor is standing and how which way he's facing is a reminder to us of what is happening right now in the service. Uh, God is speaking to us. We are offering the prayers of the church uh, up to God. It's a uh, or confessing our sins, and then we receive absolution. Uh, there's so much meaning in every little detail of our Sunday morning worship services. All right, the next slide, B. Uh, we, sh we also worship God with our whole life of faith. So it's not just on Sunday morning that we worship, right? Uh, how we live in relationship to him and to one another. And remember, the this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our whole lives, every breath that we take, we are worshiping the Lord. Uh, next slide, number two, discipleship. Uh, growing in our faith, Christian growth. We are disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. A disciple is a learner. We learn from God through instruction in his word. Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded you. So in addition to worship, Bible study, daily devotions is so important, uh, but also studying with others uh, are important for nourishing our faith so that we may grow in our discipleship. A uh, disciple is a follower, and we are followers of Jesus. We follow in our master's footsteps, doing what he did. That is 
humbly trusting in and depending on God, loving him and loving our neighbors. Number three, another important part of our life together as a church is witnessing, missions, uh, evangelism. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus commissions his church, all of us. We're commissioned with that same mission and in the power of the Holy Spirit to seek and to save the lost. We share the love of God in Christ Jesus with others. We make other disciples by sharing the gospel. We stand with the disciples after Jesus' ascension into heaven and say we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. God has done so much for us. How can we not share that good news with everyone that we know? We want them to have those same benefits too. Uh, the next slide, Mark 10, 41 to 45, uh, talks about uh, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become the servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I'm not going to read that to you, but it's about imitating Christ. Uh, Christ came to serve us, not to be served by us. And so as his disciples, right, our whole goal in life is to serve our neighbor. And who is your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone. I think of, uh, as far as the responsibilities that I have, these concentric circles. Uh, God has given me a wife and children. That's my primary uh, responsibility to uh, those neighbors right there, my wife and children. I have an extended family and I have a church family. I have coworkers, I have next door neighbors, I have fellow Arizonans, <laughs> I have fellow Americans, I have fellow global citizens, and they're all my neighbors. And I uh, only have 24 hours in a day, and so, but, uh, so I prioritize that time in caring for those people that God has directly put me uh, in relationship with. But it's not about me. Life isn't about anything, you know, my comforts or my desires. It is about serving other people and helping them fulfill what God has created them to be. Uh, that's what I get excited about. Uh, my family or in my church family, uh, seeing people uh, having that sense of fulfillment, uh, feeling that power of God working through them to, to accomplish something, to do something, to help someone, to be something. Uh, so that's what I get excited about. All right, next slide. Another uh, blessing of our church family is fellowship. <clears throat> we have this life together, which is based on our shared faith in Jesus Christ and our union in God's word and his sacraments. Um, Acts 2 talks about, we read that in another uh episode uh, about the, the first church, the early church, how they came together daily, prayed together, had communion together. Uh, it was life together. And number six here is prayer. Uh, a great gift that God has given to the church 
prayer is an expression of our faith, and fill in the blank here, it is talking to God. It's simply talking to God. Uh, what, a, what a gift it is that you and me, people, humans, uh, have the ability to speak to the creator of the universe. And he hears us. He wants to hear us because he wants us to, to have a relationship with him. And how can you have a relationship with someone if you never talk to them? Right? God wants us to talk to him. Uh, prayer is a, an incredible gift. Uh, that's what uh, children of the Heavenly Father do, right? We talk to God. We come to him in prayer, praising him, confessing our sins, uh, thanking him, and of course, bringing our needs and our wants to him because he does care and wants to care for us. We pray in Jesus' name, which means that uh, we are uh, clothed in Jesus. Uh, Jesus has forgiven our sins. He's taken away our sins. He's given us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees uh, perfection. And so we have that ability, permission, maybe even authority uh, to speak to God because in Christ we are holy. There's a couple of models uh, for how to pray. People ask uh, me that often. How can I pray? How can I pray better? Um, one uh, acronym that I like to share is ACTS, A-C-T-S. Uh, the A stands for adoration. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you for the beautiful sunrise this morning. Uh, C is for confession. God, you've done so many wonderful things for me. I'm sorry that I haven't done all that I should do for you and for your people and serving them. Uh, please forgive me. T is for thanksgiving. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a new day. Your mercies are new every morning. Uh, thank you for giving me new opportunities to, to live out my calling and, and to serve you and, and neighbor. And then finally, S is for supplications, things that we need. Lord, help me find a job. Lord, help, uh, help our marriage, uh, help the communication in our marriage. Help us uh, to raise our children uh, to be responsible adults. Uh, help my cousin who's sick. Uh, those are supplications, and we certainly bring those to God as well because he loves us. He wants to hear it, right? And he's powerful enough to do something about it. That's why we take these things to God, no matter how big or small it is. All right, the next lesson here is lesson 25. is the Lord's Prayer. This is another model for prayer. Uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And when I think about the models or, or how we think about prayer, uh, you know, uh, I used to live in St. Louis. And uh, every friend who came to visit wanted me to take them to go see the arch, right? The Gateway Arch, it's called, the St. Louis Arch, uh, more commonly known. And I think it's a pretty good symbol for how most people think uh, what prayer is like. Uh, it's kind of like uh, we, we throw our request up to God, and then we come over here with a catcher's mitt, and we just wait for God to answer. Come on, God, answer this prayer. I'm just waiting for it. And when we think about 
prayer that way. Uh, one of the problems with that is that, uh, well, how often are we going to pray? Well, when we need something. Well, in uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mountain, uh, he teaches his people uh, how to pray. And in Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what he's doing here and in, is turning this arch upside down. Uh, instead of prayer beginning and ending with me, that's a very selfish way to think about prayer. Prayer begins and ends with God. And we pray because God commands us to pray. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this. He says, pray, do this. So why do we pray? Not just because we need something, because we're afraid or we're sick. We pray because Jesus told us to pray. It's what we do as Christians. But then, look at the next chapter. In chapter 7, uh, verse, uh, verse 7 through 11. I'll just summarize it real quick. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So, not only does Jesus command us to pray, but he promises that God hears and answers our prayer. Prayer begins and ends with God. And it doesn't have anything. It doesn't have anything. It's not focused on my needs. Right? So now, how often do we pray? If this is our, the way we think about it, well, without ceasing. Right? As Paul said, we, we're constantly in communion and communication with God. Wow. Wow. Us mere mortals, we're constantly in communication and communion with God. Wow. That is amazing. So that is a way of thinking about prayer. As Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, it's how he commanded and, and, the, and the promises that we receive through prayer. God works through our prayers. That's why we pray. It's so important. So let's jump into the Lord's Prayer and let's break this down. So the introduction to the Lord's Prayer and really the next uh, few minutes here is straight out of Martin Luther's small catechism. Our Father who art in heaven, well, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children ask their dear Father. Ah, that's a great, great, great way of remembering to pray speaking to our Heavenly Father, our perfect Father. So the first petition uh, in the Lord's Prayer is, Hallowed be thy name. Well, what does that mean? Hallowed is from the word holy. God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us. Well, well how is God's name kept holy among us? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to the word. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven, 
But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. Next slide in the second petition. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come also to us. How does God's kingdom come to us? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives in time and in eternity. Third petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us too. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hollow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. Uh, remember, we always pray for God's will, not just our own will. Fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this, all these gifts come from God and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. And what is meant by daily bread? Uh, daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and the need of the body. That's food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, devout husband and wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. You know, we ha it's hard for many people in my country in the U.S. Uh, to understand what it would mean to really desperately pray for daily bread. I mean, most of us have weeks of bread in our pantry. But to understand that everything, house, home, shoes, bread, water, everything comes from God's gracious and open hand. And to be thankful every time we receive it. You know, a little segue here, a little tangent from this talk on the Lord's Prayer. I would encourage you and your family to pray before your meals. Uh, it can be a very short prayer. It can be from your heart. It can also be uh, one that you've memorized. Uh, one that uh, many adults I've heard say, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let thy gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Just a simple reminder that the food set before us this hour is a gift from God, and we are thankful for it. All right, fifth petition. Ooh, there's a good one. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? Well, we pray that in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor, uh, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them to us by grace. 
For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. And this is another great reminder in our, again, you pray the Lord's Prayer every day, a great reminder that not only are we sinful every day, but people sin against us. And as God has forgiven us, we forgive those who hurt us too. The sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and again, he says it again, our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. And the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. That's a good prayer every day. And then the conclusion is interesting. So uh, you notice it's not in Matthew 6, uh, but we pray in our churches, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this was probably added on to the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, taken, uh, probably taken from 1 Corinthians uh, 29, verse 11. You want to go look that up. This uh, kind of benediction, this Trinitarian uh, conclusion to this prayer. And what does that mean? Well, this means that I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. There's that upside down arch. God's command to pray and his promise that he hears it. And amen means yes, yes, truly, surely, certainly, this is going to happen. God has heard it and he will do it. All right, the last lesson here is on stewardship. Now, uh, this entire class of exploring the faith, the whole thing up to this point is all about what God has done for us, is doing still today for us, and what he's going to do for us when we get to go to heaven, uh, all through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. This last tiny little teeny bit of the class is our responsibility, our faithfulness uh, to what God has been uh, faithful to us to do. Uh, so lesson 26, uh, stewardship. And I want to share some verses with you. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In other words, everything that exists belongs to God. Well, he created it, so it kind of makes sense, right? God owns everything there is. And Ezekiel 18 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Uh, but all things, physical and metaphysical, spiritual, uh, 
visible and invisible. Everything that exists belongs to God because he made it all, all of it. So what is stewardship? Fill in the blank. The careful and responsible management. It's the management of something that's entrusted to one's care. So we are stewards. We are caretakers of everything because everything belongs to God. Nothing belongs to us. So our whole life is an act of stewardship. God privileges us to use all that we are and have according to his will, for his glory, in his service, and for the good of others. That's every day of our lives. So we are stewards 24-7. Now stewardship includes, but is not limited to, supporting the mission and ministry of our body, the church, uh, right here at Desert Foothills, uh, with our time, the talents, the abilities that God gives to us, and our treasures. Now in Genesis 1, we see that as humans, uh, we are responsible for imaging God to creation. And the dominion that we have over everything else in creation is, is a, a station of responsibility. Uh, we are responsible for everything under our care. We have to be good stewards of it. It's not that we can abuse it and do whatever we want with uh, nature or other people, certainly. Uh, but that we are the caretakers. We want the best for all of them. Remember, our life is a life of service and, and giving to promote the welfare of all people and all things, really, in this universe. Uh, now, let's when we talk about stewardship in the church, if you've been in a church for any length of time, you, if you've heard the word stewardship, it was probably tied uh, to money. And that's a part of it, uh, especially in our society today. We don't barter with uh bread for apples or anything. I mean, we use money to pay for things, to do things, to acquire things. Um, so in today's uh, culture, it is a big part of stewardship and it's nothing to be, uh, you know, to hide from. Look in, in uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Uh, God promises us that as we give some of our money to uh, his mission and ministries, that he will replenish us. And not just what we give, but even more than that. Uh, this is a promise from God. He even says it's the one time in the Bible we're allowed to test God in anything. And it is in uh, supporting his mission, Jesus' great commission uh, here on earth to spread the gospel. Now, um, one question I get is tithing. Well, let me say what a tithe is. So very literally what a tithe is, is giving 10%. That comes from the Old Testament laws, the Old Testament culture, the Old Testament worship in the temple. 
uh, whole model was around their stewardship was uh, for of money uh, was giving 10%. If you're a farmer, it's 10% of crops. If you're a rancher, 10% of sheep. Uh, if you're a banker, yeah, 10% of, of money. But uh, it was that 10% idea that it's it's significant enough that it, it it's meaningful. I mean, you notice it. It's not just a, oh, let's see what I got in my pocket today. Okay, here you go, God. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's intentional. It's significant. But it's not enough that like it's going to really upset your lifestyle. doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to take a vacation or, or whatever your lifestyle is. Um, but it's a significant, intentional gift. We don't give God our leftovers, right? We give God our best. So uh, that's the idea behind the tithe. Now, one of the questions, it is tithing in the New Testament. We know it's an Old Testament thing, from the, but you know, when the Christian church started, <laughs> it took off, and you know, was that something that carried through? Is that even something that Jesus talked about? And he did actually in Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus uh, is condemning the, the uh, heretics, if you will, the Pharisees uh, for being hypocrites. And he says, you hypocrites, you tithe dill, mint, and cumin. In other words, these are uh, like, a, <laughs> like their little window box herb garden. It's like you tithe, you tithe everything. You have 10% of everything, even your little window box uh, you know, garden, but you neglect the weightier matters. Faith, you know, justice, mercy. Uh, these you should have done without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus didn't say, well, you shouldn't tithe anything. You should just be focused on justice and mercy. No, Jesus said you should have been focusing more on justice and mercy while you tithe everything. You should have been done doing both of them. And so it seems to be uh, uh, represented, uh, again, this significant, specific, intentional portion of material gain. But I'll say giving is not limited to the tithe or any specific amount. So uh, I know I heard one pastor years ago said that, uh, oh, no, you don't have to tithe anymore. You don't have to give 10% anymore. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, uh, if the people who lived before Jesus was born gave 10%, then all of us who live after he was born, we saw his life, we've heard his preaching, his, his parables, his, seen his miracles, we know he rose from the dead. Like if all of us who've lived after those events, uh, well, we, we're free to give at least 11%. <laughs> Uh, that's what another pastor said, not, not from the Bible. Just uh, It's kind of a joke, but it, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? There's, it's a good illustration. And this is the way that Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians 16.2. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul talks about how we should give proportionally. You know, it's those who have been blessed way, way more. God expects way, way more from them. Uh, if, if financially uh, you're blessed you don't feel like you're very blessed at all, then God doesn't expect you to try to give away all of your money. He, he, he gives us, uh, again, think about, remember those concentric circles of responsibility. Um, don't ever give away your entire social security check to a TV preacher, okay? Uh, God wants you to use that money to take care of you, 
to buy your medicines, to pay your electric bill, um, to take care of your spouse or children, grandchildren, whoever's in that next circle of responsibility. Uh, then you get to your extended family, your church family, maybe uh, there, your neighbors, community, our country and the world. Uh, so think about that as you manage your resources of time, your talents, the abilities that you have, and the treasures that God has given to you. We want to manage all of these gifts from God uh, in ways that uh, do His will. All right. Uh, the bottom line about giving, though, is that Christians do not give to. Okay, Christians give from. Uh, a lot of times we have this mentality of, uh, and if your mailbox is like mine, uh, you get <laughs> solicitations for all kinds of charities, all kinds of worthy causes, um, and you kind of try to prioritize or what touches your heart strings and uh, you know, what connections do you have, it's your alma mater or whatever, uh, you know, to give to this, to give to that, should I give to that, to this, to this, to this. Okay, we, we, we come at it from a different perspective. Okay, we see everything as belonging to God. And so everything that we have, time, our abilities, senses, and our treasures, are all from God. God has just poured out, lavished all of these wonderful things for us. And so we give to others from this wonderful blessing that God has given to us. It's, it's from a grateful heart. You know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And it is a, a joy to partner with God in, in serving in his kingdom, whether it's with our time, our talents, or our treasures. Okay. Commitment. The very, very, very last part of this whole Exploring the Faith class. I'm going to talk about Desert Foothills Church, who we are, where we've been. Um, we are part of the Lutheran Church here in uh, America. Uh, Lutherans uh, in America aren't uh, very uh, large in number. However, in the world, it's actually the largest Protestant denomination. Uh, Desert Foothills was founded in 1997, along with our preschool. Uh, the church and school started together because you see how important, how seriously we take Jesus at his words. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, teaching them everything I've commanded you. So we start from a very young age teaching people the love of God in Jesus Christ. So important to our mission. Uh, this congregation is a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It's a denomination that was founded in 1847. Uh, today there's more than 2 million baptized members at around uh, 6,000 congregations all over the United States. I don't let the name Missouri Fulia. It's kind of where they started. Uh, our church is part of the Pacific Southwest District of that denomination. So Southern California, all of Arizona, Southern Nevada. Uh, our churches and schools uh, come together, work together uh, to accomplish larger uh, mission projects and, and things that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. So uh, the next slide, where are we going here at Desert Foothills? And this is where you come in. You've made it all the way to here. Uh, I'm very excited about our potential 
of, of partnering with God and you to, to do great things. Well, we believe that church, remember that's our worship life, our life together in Christ, uh, is a very important part of our lives. And as with anything that is important, it requires some commitment, dedication, and sometimes even sacrifices. In order to receive the fullness of God's blessings and his gifts of life, love, faith, hope, and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is vital that you attend worship. Attendance at weekly worship is paramount to your living in God's grace and with his peace, as well as a God-pleasing life. When you are not in church, you not only hurt yourself, you hurt your brothers and sisters who are, we are all, we are all one body. 1 Corinthians 12 talks a lot about this, uh, being the body of Christ. I think that's an important note. Uh, I know uh, we tend to think that, well, uh, I don't have to go to church this week. Uh, you know, I got this going on, that going on. I'll be okay. You know, I, I'm still saved. I, I'm still good with God. We still have a relationship. Okay, that's true. Okay, I'm not saying you got to go to church uh, to be saved. But you're, it's, a, it's a very selfish way of looking at it. You see, it's what are you missing uh, or who are you missing uh, you know, when you're not in church? Somebody might have been there that Sunday who was feeling really down and you were going to smile and greet them and you had maybe the same vocation, something in common, uh, and would have struck up a conversation and lifted their spirits and, and, and built a relationship there. Uh, it's not just about us. Right? coming to church. It's about what we, what we give, how we serve other people, even on Sunday morning. In order for you to grow in faith toward God and in fervent love toward your neighbor, it is also important you spend time in his word and with other Christians. You're encouraged to make it a high priority to spend a second hour each week. So the first hour is worship. Uh, the second hour in a Bible class or a life group at our church. Again, this not only benefits you, but also the entire body of Christ. Daily personal Bible readings, devotions, prayers are also extremely important. So we come to worship, we receive God's grace. Uh, that first hour, that second hour a week, I'm asking you, everybody to commit to is, is growing our faith. We don't want to be stagnant, right? We don't want to be following Jesus. We want to be on the move, always growing closer to God. And then thirdly, as Christ's men and Christ's women, and as we grow in our Christian faith together, God expects us to serve him by serving our neighbors. So as you're able, and as God has given you specific gifts and talents, we encourage you to join us in serving our neighbors by and through various opportunities and activities. And uh, here at Desert Foothills, Pastor Jeremy and I, we have uh, many things going on. There's always a, somewhere for you to jump in and serve. Again, as you serve, you also grow in your faith and grow closer to God too. So you get something out of it too when you are giving to other people. And so uh, the last little statement here in the last slide uh, says, I desire to be a member of Desert Foothills Church. What does this mean? I wrote that, not Martin Luther, but anyway. I'm thankful that God has sent his son to bear my sins and be my savior. I need God's grace in my life constantly. And I desire to receive his blessings here at Desert Foothills. I also am committed to using my God-given time, talents, and treasures to build up the body of Christ here at Desert Foothills and 
working with my family of God to increase the kingdom of God on earth, starting right here. And then there's a signature line. If you have the workbook there, sign and date. And I put that in there uh, just to emphasize the point uh, that uh, being a part of a church family is a commitment. Uh, it, it could even mean sacrifices, but it does require uh, our, our time and attention. And that's because we've all committed this to each other. So I know there are people who are praying for me, caring for me, there are people who encourage me. And uh, you wanna be, if you're this far along in uh, checking out our church, uh, I'm sure you felt those same things too. And so we wanna join together too to pray for and encourage and lift up and support other, you know, everyone else here in this family of faith that God, God has brought us all together here. And we wanna serve him together and do more together than we could ever do on our own. Uh, so the old way of uh, joining a church, uh, not many people think about or worry about that much anymore, uh, would be that you stand up in front and you, you know, do you believe in God? And the person says, yes, I do. And do you believe in the scriptures? Yes, I do. And do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Yes, I do. Uh, will you, to the you know, best of your ability, uh, you know, attend worship? Will you study God's word? Will you pray for others and support them? Uh, the mission of, of this congregation. And you would say, yes, with the help of God. Uh, but because we live in a society that's much more uh, written, contract, oriented uh, kind of the verbal contract doesn't have as much weight to it anymore in our minds anyway it's certainly oaths is a still an oath uh, but just the way most people view it uh, so that's why I put the signature line down there it's not a literal contract you don't have to sign it or anything like that at all uh, just a teaching point to say that uh, this is a this is a serious decision uh, about where you're going to worship and serve alongside God's people. There's a lot of different kinds of churches for a lot of different kinds of people. And uh, where you ultimately uh, make your church home is between you and God. Uh, you'll never get any uh, hard pressure sales pitch from me or, or anybody here at our church, but we would love to have you. You're, all, you're so welcome uh, to be a part of our family. It'll be so much fun. Uh, and then this little verse at the bottom here, Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, uh, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And so there it is, that verbal confession of faith that we give to the Lord. Thanks so much for joining us for this class uh, exploring the faith. I enjoy teaching it and I hope you got something out of it. If you have any questions, reach out to me, email me, call the church office. And uh, if, certainly if you have any questions about uh, joining the church or getting more involved in our church, uh, just please let me know soon. All right. Thank you again so much for sticking through all of this. Uh, it's been fun. God bless you.